be. So thank you for that, Esty. He, he is a, an amazing man. He's impacted my life in just the short time that I've known him. And so uh, we rejoice with him. Uh, I don't think they're going to call it a memorial service. I think they're going to call it a celebration. And that's the way it should be with every one of us, Lord, when that time comes. It'd be a time of celebration. Ushers, would you come, please, and we'll celebrate with the giving of the tithe and offering. Dear Jesus, your faithfulness is so amazing. We sang earlier, Lord, forever you are faithful. Forever. Forever. And Lord, it's by your grace that that we are here today and it's by your grace that we will go forward. But Lord, we go forward by the investment that we make into your kingdom. And so Lord, may these funds that we give, these offerings that we give to you this morning serve not to accomplish merely our purposes, but mostly, Lord, most importantly, your purposes for placing this church in this community. As Esty said, Lord, let us become witnesses to everyone that we come in contact with of the good news of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we give. Blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Great job, as always. We appreciate so much Jacob and the faithfulness of the worship team as they minister to us Sunday after Sunday. Lead us to the throne of grace. This morning, we're beginning part three of our sermon series. Our sermon series entitled, Loving God, Loving One Another. Perhaps you've noticed a tone to the songs that we're singing about how great God's love is for us. And, uh, you know, uh, this morning I'm going to take a departure from my normal text and I want to read to you from a paraphrase of the message from John, 1 John chapter number 4 verses 7 through 10. I like this translation or paraphrase, whatever you want to call it, because it speaks the word in a, in a modern day language that we can all understand very easily. Listen to these words. John says, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that once upon a time loved God. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for loving us so much that you came and died in our place, made it possible for us to experience the joy of sins forgiven. What a blessing. Lord, be with us in this message this morning and speak to each and every heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me see, this is the 16th, so Friday we experienced Valentine's Day. Guys, I hope you knew that. Um, We buy flowers. We give chocolates. We send cards with cute little expressions of our love. And we may even suddenly become romantic on Valentine's Day and perhaps take our significant other out for a candlelight dinner. All expressions of this thing that we call love. Now we'd like to think that that love that we express to one another is is an eternal love. That nothing could ever change that love. But as you know, and as we've all probably discovered all too often that love Well, let me say it this way. All too often things happen in life that prove that our love has conditions to it. This morning we're going to be talking about God's love and the difference between His love and our love. And I've titled this message, Love is More Than Just a Four-Letter Word. Um, I'm not sure that the world that we live in has a full understanding of what real love looks like. Real love is unconditional. I'm ashamed to say this, but I, I grew up with one of my favorite cousins. He was the kind of guy that would, could always make me laugh. And I remember when we were teenagers, he would see a pretty girl and he would say, oh, I'm in lust. That's how we confuse the word. Now, I know he didn't mean that. Well, maybe he did. But but a lot of times the line gets blurred, if you know what I mean. Between expressing love and having mere feelings of lust. And a whole host of other things that, that the world will say is love, but according to what God's Word says, it's not really love. As I said earlier, we, we often practice conditional love. Now, In other words, conditional love sounds like this. I'll love you as long as you, and I'll let you fill in the blank. I'll love you as long as you, 
whatever. But unconditional love comes from God, and the love that God offers is the only thing that will ever fill the void in our lives. Now, you need to understand something about this void in our lives. God made us that way. He made us with this part of our heart that could only be filled by him. Nothing else will ever fill that void until we experience the love that God has for us. His unconditional love, as opposed to our conditional love, says that no matter what you might do, there's nothing that will ever affect the love that I have for you. I've heard people say something like this, I just feel like there's something missing in my life. Have you ever heard somebody say that? That's that void. God made us with that void. And, and you know, so many times it, it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. How many of you have ever put together a jigsaw puzzle only to get to the end of it and you find that there's one piece missing? You know, how frustrating is that? But if you look at our, if you look at that void in our hearts in that way, what do we try to do? We try to find a piece that will fit. That will make us whole. And we try this and that and the other and nothing quite fits to make the picture whole until we experience God's love. And when we experience God's love, it becomes a perfect fit. And our lives for the first time experience wholeness. Now, the thing about God's love, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't win it. But the good news is he doesn't love you because of who you are anyway. I mean, think about it. At our very best, the word of God tells us that we're filthy rags. At our very best. And so it's not about how much, how much we are lovable. It's about God's love for us. And if God loved us, because of who we are, have you ever asked yourself this question? If he loved me because of who I am, would he even want to? You see, that's the amazing thing about conditional love. He loves us no matter what. No matter whether we're worthy of it or whether we're not. You know, Brenda and I have had couples come to us for marriage counseling over the years of pastoring and and often we've heard a husband or wife say in the course of those counseling sessions, this isn't the person that I fell in love with. Any of you ever heard that? Well, let me just ask it this way. Now, you're not here for marriage counseling, but how many of you found out that the person that you fell in love with wasn't quite the person that you found yourself spending forever with? Yeah. Come on, you can admit it. I know Brenda feels that way. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You see, when we start feeling like that's not the person that I fell in love with and married, the truth of the matter is this. They always were that person. They just saved the informal introduction until after the honeymoon was over. But here's the amazing thing that, about God. He knows the real us. 
He knows who we are before the relationship ever starts. And he loves us and accepts us just the way that we are and for who we are. Now see, God's love isn't based on our actions. His love isn't based on our deeds or our works. He loves us, are you ready for this? Because of who he is. He is love. It's not because of who we are, it's because of who he is. And I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I find sweet rest in that very fact. His love for us, based on his love alone, is based on his love alone, and it has absolutely nothing to do with me. That's his character. That's his nature. He is a God of love. And his love for us is what makes his grace towards us possible. He loved us long before we ever loved him. He loved us before we were ever anything at all. And best of all, there's nothing that we can ever do that will change his mind about us. He's the only constant thing in this world that we can depend on. He doesn't change. Now, there's a very familiar passage of Scripture found in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, that great 8th chapter, that I want to share with you. Paul says these words in verses 38 and 39, again from the message paraphrase, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Nothing can separate us from his love. God is omnipresent. Now, how many, you've heard that word before. Omnipresent. It's an interesting word, and you've probably heard that the word omnipresent means something like this, that God is everywhere at once. I apologize for this. This thing is giving me fits this morning. You've heard it said that omnipresence means God is everywhere at once. Can I just tell you that it's better than that? It actually means God has already been everywhere time will ever be. Now let me explain that. It means that God's love goes everywhere that he goes, and it's pretty awesome to think that his love is already waiting for us to arrive wherever we ever will go. Don't make me say that again, because I probably can't. Everywhere, every moment that we will ever be or experience. Every moment that we will ever enjoy, whether it's today, tomorrow, or sometime in the future, God's love is going to be there waiting for us to experience it. That's omnipresence. The amazing thing is, That he already knows how we're going to respond to his love and how we're going to act in each and every situation. And he still says, my love for you is still bigger than that. In the midst of, in the midst of your sinfulness, my love for you will not change because there is nothing that you could ever do that would affect my feelings of love for you. Now, let me just take a break here for a second. How many of us can say that about one another? Nothing you could ever do that will affect my feelings of love for you? 
I hope we can. But I think probably every one of us in the room has at some point or another been wounded by someone. And it affected our ability to love and to be loved. Because our love can't compare to God's. I mean, that's very natural. I'm not beating you up with that statement. I'm just saying that's a very natural feeling. I mean, what one of us wants to be a masochist and take punishment over and over, you know. I, but God's love is so much bigger than ours. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. It's not a conditional love the way that the world loves. And that brings me to another question. Shouldn't Jesus' church try to be the same way? Now we're getting really down to the heart of the matter. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard in this illustration that I'm getting ready to share with you. It's called the illustration of the stinky homeless guy. But it's so applicable here, I want to share it with you again. It's the story of Pastor Jeremiah Stepik, who transformed himself into a homeless person and went to a 10,000-member church that where he was to be introduced as the new lead pastor that very morning. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes while it was filling with people for service. And he said only three people out of the seven to 10,000 people that were gathered there that morning spoke to him. He asked several of the people for change to buy some food, but no one in the church gave him anything. And when he went into the sanctuary to sit down, he walked to the front of the church and then was asked by the ushers if he would please sit in the back. Trying to be friendly, he tried to greet people with kind words, only to be greeted with stares and dirty looks, people looking down on him and what he thought to be judging him. But as he went and took his seat in the back of the church, as the ushers had requested. He listened to the church announcements. And when they were done giving the announcements, the elders of the church went forward and were excited to introduce the new pastor of the church to the congregation. And they said, we would like to introduce you to Pastor Jeremiah Stepik. The congregation began clapping and looking around with, with joy and with anticipation. And then all of a sudden, the homeless man sitting in the back stood up and started walking down the aisle. Clapping stopped. Everyone's eyes were locked on him. He walked up to the altar, took the microphone from the elders who were obviously in on this whole thing. Paused for a moment, and then he began speaking, and he said, Then the king will say to those on the right... Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit with you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. After he had recited that passage of Scripture, he looked towards the congregation and told them all that he had experienced that morning. He later said that many began to cry and many heads were bowed in shame. And then he told them, he said, Today I see a gathering of people, not a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has enough people But the world doesn't have enough disciples. When will you decide to become Jesus' disciples? And with that, he dismissed the service until next week. And I'm guessing that that was probably the most effective two-minute sermon that he ever preached. I love that illustration. Because, you see, following in the footsteps of Jesus ought to be more than just talk. It ought to be a lifestyle that others around you can love about you and share in. Now, that stinky stinky homeless man didn't... I don't believe he came wanting a handout. Obviously, we know the story, but this could apply to any stinky homeless man. They may not be coming expecting a handout... They may be coming just wanting Jesus in their life. And even though they may be dirty and they may stink, they're still a soul for whom Jesus died. And they need Jesus. You see, friends, looks can be deceiving. Only God knows what's going on in any given situation. As I was reading that story Something came to me. Brenda and I were pastoring a little country church just outside of Gainesville, Texas years ago. And where's where's Brenda at? Oh, you're back there. Brenda will know who I'm getting ready to talk about. One of the men in that little church, his name was Ezra. Um, Ezra was just like this homeless man that I've just described in this illustration. Ezra was at church every Sunday morning... And he wore urine-stained, dirty overalls that warned everyone of his entrance before he ever appeared. But Ezra was a sweetheart. You talked to him, and he was such a sweet man. And the people of that church had loved and accepted Ezra for many years. But one day after church, I, I was visiting with Ezra, and... He told me that his house had no running water. Now, I'd driven by his house because his house was on the same road that we took to get to the church. And you could tell by looking at the house that it was unkept and junky. But upon hearing that Ezra had no running water, I assumed that perhaps a pipe had broken. That he couldn't afford to get it fixed. That was my assumption. So I... I got some guys together at church, and I told them what Ezra had shared with me. 
And we set up a time as a men's group to go to his house to see if we could perhaps fix the problem for him. Well, we walked in. And I found that not only did Ezra not have running water, he had dirt floors. In some places in his house, the dirt was six to eight inches deep. I was uh, running through the house after we found out that it wasn't a broken pipe, but rather that his well had gone dry. And I was walking through the house and I entered this room and when I opened the door to that room, I was surprised by a, by a pregnant goat letting me know that I was infringing on her territory. He had animals living in the house with him. Now Ezra had a son who had control of Ezra's money. Found out through this situation that Ezra wasn't broke. His son simply had control of his money. So we contacted the son. We told him of his dad's situation. I'm sure he probably already knew. But when we contacted him, that took on an entirely different picture. We eventually convinced his son that his dad was worth spending the money to drill a new well. Had he not agreed to it, I am very confident that the church would have done it for him. But it was truly one of the saddest situations I've ever seen as a pastor. And Ezra was so grateful when we got him running water to his house. The people of that church, you see, were Ezra's real family. His flesh and blood family had failed him. But God's people came through. You see, religious people sometimes seem to measure out God's love with a teaspoon. But they expect God's love in their lives by the truckload. From what the Apostle Paul told us there in Romans, no no angels or demons can do anything about affecting the availability of God's love for us. Not even the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, can have more impact than the love and grace that God has provided for us for our forgiveness. Can I just ask you, how many of you are grateful for God's grace? Oh my goodness. Where would we be without it? You see, all of those things that we try to fill that void in our heart with, they're powerless to do anything for us. And by the same token, it's powerless For God to change His love for us. And once you truly grab a hold of the love of God, it it drives the enemy of our soul crazy because he knows that there's nothing he can do to ever separate us from it. He knows that God's love. That's, That's why the devil fights us so hard. To keep us from ever realizing the full extent of God's love for us because once someone finally makes that realization... For all intents and purposes, the work of the enemy is finished in our lives. He knows we'll never get away from that. Again, the Apostle Paul, this time from Romans 5, verses 6 and 8, says these words, again from the message. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. 
He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. (laughs) While we were no use whatever to God, God sent Jesus for us. What an expression of love. And we can and should be confident in the life that God has given us today, not because we love Him, because our love is, is irrelevant, but because He loves us. That's constantly, that, that, that's, that's where our confidence comes from. Here's something else for you to think about. If we didn't do anything to earn God's love, that means we don't ever need to leave, live in fear of losing God's love like the accuser of the brethren constantly would like us all to believe. I don't know how many of you experienced this, but in my rebellious teenage years, and yes, you had them too, every time I'd do something that I knew was wrong and displeasing to God, the enemy, the accuser, would come to me And make me to feel that God could never love me again because of what I've done. He wanted me to think that God's love was conditional. Dependent upon my performance. Dependent upon my actions. And he would accuse me of being so bad that God could never love me again. What a lie. I wonder how many relationships are affected by the element of the fear of the relationship being lost. Far too many relationships are conditional in nature by one person in the relationships thinking something like this. What can you do for me? How will this benefit me? How can I manipulate this situation to benefit me? That's why the divorce rate in the world is at an all-time high, friends. Because love is conditional. But here's the thing, Jesus knows everything about us, the past, the present, the future. And in other words, he knows all the ugly and loves us anyway. That fact alone is more than enough reason for his grace to be called amazing. Amazing. That's why there's complete rest in God's love. You don't have to act. You don't have to pretend to be something you aren't. You don't have to, uh, you, you don't have to be someone that everyone will like. Because when it comes to God, you can be yourself. Be yourself and he'll still love you just the way you are. After all, he made you, right? He made you and there's no one that knows you better than God does. You don't have to change yourself before you come to know him because, and his, this is the great thing, once you do come to know him, you're going to change because he now lives in you. And wherever he is, the atmosphere of that place is going to change. So in the temple of your heart, where Jesus resides, he's doing a work 
Because he loves you so much to make you more and more like he is. Man, what a great thing. He loves us so much. The word of God tells us that, uh, tells us all of that, but human nature has a hard time accepting the uneasiness of it. The world wants to tell us, well, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy for God to love you. But God in his infinite wisdom designed it so that it would be attainable for each of us so that we could experience life in the way that he intended for us to experience it. If it wasn't, would we ever even have a remote possibility of receiving the love of God? What wisdom? What love? And friends, there are a lot of people in this world. In fact, there are millions and millions of people who have never experienced the love of God. They don't even know what it is that they're not enjoying. But that doesn't change the fact that God is their creator and He loves them and He's waiting patiently to pour His love out on their lives. God wants every one of us to experience His love in amazing ways. You see, the moment people become aware of God's love for them, I don't know if this will make sense to you, but it's like having a bank account that you don't ever have to check to see if there's enough there. (laughs) I go online every day to my bank (laughs) to make sure that there's enough there. Now contrast that to God's love. You don't ever have to worry about it. You don't ever have to check on it. There's more than enough there to do whatever it is you want to do anytime you want to do it. And yet the sad thing is there are many who are still living in poverty because they haven't experienced God's love. That's why it's up to you and I. It's up to you and I to let people know about the abundance of God's love that he has for them. People are never going to know the love of God unless we, God's people, share it with them. It's not enough that we know. God expects us to bear fruit with what we know. How many of you want to bear fruit in your life? How many of you want to be productive Christians? Every one of us do. That's how you do it. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. And I ask him to, I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you will be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Full in the fullness of God. You know, friends, it was Paul's prayer, and I believe it ought to be ours as well. We need to pray that the blinders would be removed from all who are blinded from knowing the truth about God's love in their lives. This world needs to know. 
The world needs to know the amazing truth about God's love. Even if they have nothing to offer Him. Even if they've never done anything to deserve it. Even if they feel like they've ruined every opportunity they'll ever have to receive God's love and are not worthy of it. None of that matters. God takes great pleasure in His creation. He loves us, as we sang earlier. We are His creation. We are His masterpiece. And the love of God is like having access to the whole supply of the earth's fresh water to drink for a glass of water. You may just drink a glass, but you have as much there as you want. That's how much value God puts on one person's worth. You see, God is willing to give everything He has for any one of us. He's willing to give everything He has for any one of us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have eternal life. You know, one thing that I'm thankful for here on this earth, and you should be too, is the fact that my name and your name is covered by the word, word whosoever. Whosoever believes on Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Now, we know that when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, it was all about love, right? We've been talking about it for three weeks. Jesus said in Mark chapter eight, excuse me, Mark chapter twelve, verses nineteen through or twenty nine through thirty one. He said, and this is my paraphrase, not the message paraphrase. The first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's the second: love others as you love yourself. There's no other commandment that ranks with these. Here's the truth of the matter. You remember those ten suggestions from Moses? Better known as the Ten Commandments. If you'll keep these two, you'll have no problem whatsoever keeping all ten of those. Loving God. Loving each other. So how will we win friends, family, and neighbors to the Lord? I can tell you this, we won't win them by telling them the things that they need to do differently in their lives. But we can do it by doing what Jesus said to do, loving others as you love yourself. I read a story as I was preparing this message earlier this week. The story of Dolly Madison, not the pastries, the lady... Dolly Madison, wife of the fourth president of the United States, James Madison, was one of the most popular women in American history. Wherever she went, she charmed and captivated everyone by her presence, whether obscure or well-known, rich or poor, men and women alike. Dolly Madison was once asked to explain the secret of her power over others. Surprised by the tone of the question... Mrs. Madison gave the following answer. Power over people? I have none and I desire none. I merely love everyone. And those who love 
are richly rewarded by love returned. What a great answer. You know, we read earlier from 1 John chapter number 4. If you go on down to verse number 17, and I'll read it from the English Standard Version this time. John says this, By this is his love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. With love, he first loved us. God wants us to rest assured in this life that he has given us. There's nothing he's left out. He thought of everything that we would ever need and have need of, and he included it with the love that he gave to us at a place called Calvary. Every promise that God ever made to us has been guaranteed by the same love that God has for his own son, Jesus. He not only loved us enough to send his son to redeem us, but he loved us enough, think about this, to give us access to everything that Jesus has as well. Wow. Heirs with God. Joint heirs with Jesus. That's who we as believers are once we have experienced the love that God has for us and we establish from that a relationship with Him. Worship team, would you come please? Friends, everything that I shared with you this morning about God's love, you heard me mention it a lot, I know. But everything that I said about God's love this morning is made possible by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Everything. I forget how many promises this Word of God contains for believers. It's a huge number. But every one of them are ours once we experience this loving relationship with God. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. How about your love for Him? How about your relationship with Him? Do you know Him? Are you living in the extravagant love that He has for you today? If not, don't you think it's about time to start? Every one of us crave love, whether it's from someone that we see with our eyes, but even better is somebody that we can't see that promises us and gives us evidences of how much He loves us on a daily basis. He loves you, friend. Yeah, I asked the question, don't you think it's about time? Well, if for whatever reason you don't think it's time, let me just leave you with this. If it's not time for you to love God and experience God's love in the way that He wants you to experience it, He's still going to love you. 
he's still going to love you. Your rejection of him doesn't negate his love for you. He loves you so much. Holy Spirit of God, I know, I know, as well as I'm standing here this morning, that there are people in this room, both saved and probably some unsaved, that need to experience your love new and fresh. They need it to help in the relationships of their lives. They need it to help them as parents. They need it to help them as children, kids, young people. They need it as church members to love one another. They need it for their families outside of the church. They need it for a lost and dying world that's looking for love in all the wrong places. So Lord, I'm, ex- I'm asking you this morning to give each of us in this room today an experience of the power that your love has over us. Lord, give us a tangible taste of how very much you love us. This song says, hold me close. Hold us close, Jesus. Let us feel your arms around us. Let us experience your power. These altars are open this morning. And if you're here and you just need to experience Jesus' love for you new and afresh, I'd like to help you with that this morning. More importantly, Jesus would like to help you with that today. And so as Jacob and the worship team lead us in this song once again, Jacob, let's start with the chorus, if if you would, please. I want us to all stand to our feet, and if you're just needing to experience a touch of God's love in your life, come find a place to pray. Man, Tim, I did pretty good. It's quarter to 12. So we have time. We have time to spend some time with Jesus. Let's share, sing it together. Rami. Sing verse 2, if you would, please. Verse verse 2. My heart, let my soul face to face the knowledge of your love as you live in me.
Make this your prayer. Lord, renew my mind as your will unfolds in my life, in living every day. By the power of your love, hold me close, let your love By the power of your love. Amen. We were singing that. I was reminded of a passage of scripture. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out, young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Now, I know some of you heard it differently than that. You learned it differently from that. But I love the way that I re- that, that reads. God's not going to get tired. He's not going to give up on you. He's going to keep loving you. Until your love breaks through. And I'm convinced of that this morning. Dear Jesus. We do thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for loving me. We thank you for loving us. And Lord, if we haven't in this service this morning, I pray that in the days and weeks ahead that we will have tangible experiences in your love. May we know beyond the shadow of doubt that it's your love that is affecting the situations and circumstances of our lives. For those who are grieving, Lord, let them feel your love. For those who are hurting, let them feel your love. For those who are sick, afflicted, let them feel your love. For those who are wandering, let them find your love. And may your love change them and make them everything that you've created them to be. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.